This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Good day, San Jose, and welcome to the Stick Hungry Podcast, your home of the San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dylan Kayser. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Kyle McLaren and Producer T. Producer T, we'll start off with you. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Trying to trying to keep sane. You know, not not going out, not seeing people. It's it's getting weird, but you know, your the eyes, your eyes are looking a little squirrely these days. Are you sure you're still sane? Man, I don't know. I've all that's the thing. I try to tell myself I'm sane, but. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think I was sane before, though. So, far. <laughs> and, and Kyle, how about yourself? Are are you staying sane these days? You know, I mean, this, as tough as this is, uh, trying to stay out of people's way, trying to stay home, just go for the essentials. But uh, but for sure, this is starting to wear on me a little bit. Of being home, I think it's what four and a half, five weeks that uh, kind of our stay in place, but home, and it's uh, I think it gets tougher every day. But again, as I look at you know the doctors and nurses and uh, the first responders and, and the grocery store clerks is you want to help them kind of do their job and not overwhelm them. So I'm happy to be home. Yeah. And Kyle, you, you sent me a picture. You had to go out and get some, uh, go to the hardware store and get some pieces to fix up your bathroom. And uh, you, you had the whole thing wrapped around your face. Uh, you look like a bank robber. It's kind of funny actually. Yeah. You know what? I mean, it's, it's the weirdest thing because usually you see bank robbers wearing the same mask that I have to wear out. But I get it. You know what I mean? Is is before they said face masks weren't essential. Now they are. And there's different counties around where I live uh, that are basically mandatory. You can get fines from fifty to a thousand dollars for not wearing one. And I actually sat there and I went to Lowe's and and I looked around to see if people were wearing them. And I'm like, you know what? It was ninety five percent of people wearing them. I'm like, you know what? I might as well wear one. I don't want to be that five percent that think that this is kind of a joke or or it's it's not real. So, uh, you know, I got to do what I have to do. I mean, just to go out to fix uh, a plumbing issue that we had in the house. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to see everyone's uh, makeshift homemade masks, though, eh? You get yeah. some weird ones. I've seen some uh, really uh, funny-looking stuff that people are getting together. Oh, Producer T, I sent you a picture the other day while I was at work. I saw a guy wearing this. It was one of those diving masks, but it's like the full, <laughs> full clear face shield. But he had the snorkel going up behind him, and he had tinfoil <laughs> the edges and around his head so no air would get in. It was, it was something else. Oh my God. I seen somebody wearing ski masks, ski goggles, you know those big-ass ski goggles? Yeah, yeah. At Walmart. I'm like, well, you have to cover your eyes now, too? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Get infected through the eye? <laughs> I didn't see that one, but now, again, what I'm seeing out when I went out today – and I didn't want to go out today, but I had to fix something. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, okay. I, I mean, you get it. But I'm like, you know what? I don't think I need to cover my eyes unless I'm wearing sunglasses. Yeah. And a quick shout out to everybody on Facebook. We're now on Facebook Live through the new Stick Hungry podcast group that we started, or, or Facebook page, sorry, that we started. So I think we're going to start streaming the videos uh, through there, moving on into the future. If you have any comments or questions, shoot it to us uh, on the live feed, and we'll try to answer them. As we do the show, I mean, guys, there's not much hockey to go around. There really isn't. So we're, we're struggling for topics. So if you have anything you want us to talk about, please send it our way. Uh, should we do Twitter shoutouts quickly? Let's do it. Let's do it. So you can follow the show at Stick Hungry Pod. You can follow myself 
at DYL underscore THPN. Producer T? You can follow myself at producer underscore T-E-E. And Kyle? Uh, McLaren underscore uh, K. Is mine. There you go. We, we nailed it. We nailed it first time this week, boys. We're getting there. We really are. <laughs> I'm feeling confident about this one. Uh, let's uh, let's start off with this story. Um, it's a GoFundMe campaign. This is the first time we brought one up on the show, but it's near to the San Jose San Jose Sharks' heart. It's Mitch, Mr. Rich Perez. Um, so, Kyle, you you have probably a little bit of history with Rich. Can you just briefly explain uh, to the fans what his role is with the San Jose Sharks? Well, I mean, uh, when I when I knew him, he'd come in to the trainer's room, never into the coach's room, or never uh, never around the room. But he always come to the trainer's room, uh, and he was he'd bring the mail to us. And I'm like, and I, again, I didn't know who he was or anything. And somebody said, somebody said he was the old mayor of Gilroy. And I'm like, there's no way, and it, <laughs> it, it is true. And, and, but he was a great guy, and he was fun to talk to. Uh, he would sit with uh, Ray Tufts, who's a trainer, I think, still for the Sharks, and just bullshit. And you know, funny stories of him growing up. Uh, but I saw that uh, on the, on Twitter uh, was it yesterday or whatever that he's fighting for his life. And I just wanted to bring him up because again, there's a lot of the older shark players, maybe not some of the newer ones. Um, but again, it's it's been 10 years since I've been played, so it's been 15 at least or or longer since he's been around. And he's always been around the sharks. We've loved him having a locker room. Uh, it was something dear to my heart because again, as I, I know him personally and you see that he's fighting uh he's on a not a ventilator but he's just he's not doing too good and i mean the gofundme page has, has taken off uh and i'm happy to see that you know what i mean they asked for what 20k and they're getting over 40 at least 47 46 thousand dollars so uh he's, he's he's a personal dear friend of mine that uh but again is is i want to pull through this yeah, like you mentioned, he's right now on life support battling a unknown bacterial infection, uh, which is a pretty scary thing. I mean, when you don't really know what the problem is, that's it's kind of tough to overcome. But like you said, the GoFundMe page has, uh, you know, gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of money supporting this cause. The goal, like you said, was twenty thousand dollars. And when I when I wrote the outline for the show, it was at forty six, and I was like, wow, they they've already doubled their goal. But now just refreshing the page right now. Let's take a look. $50,717. I mean, that just goes to show the hockey community really comes together in times like this. And it, it, if you kind of scroll through through some of the names of people who have donated on that GoFundMe, it kind of shows how um, Rich really, really did have an impact on so many people. Because like you, Evander Kane is in there, Pete DeBoer. There's a lot of... You know, big Patrick Marlowe, I think he had a big, a big effect on a lot of people around the Sharks because it's pretty impressive to see all those people who have, uh, who have donated money. Yeah, yeah you know, Absolutely. just regular folks donating, you know, they're not donating $10. I mean, I'm looking no, at the, the amounts here. It's $500, and $1,200. And it's from people that we might not know, just regular Joes that, that have dealt with Rich in the past. So it just... Like you said, it goes to show how much this guy really has impacted people. And yeah, everybody around the organization seems to love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see the community go together for a guy like that. And again, it's the impact, not just for hockey, but again, there's a lot of people I don't know on there that he knows that are friends of his that are, you know, he donating to help his cause, which is great. 
Yeah, and you can find the GoFundMe link on our Twitter page at Stick Hungry Pod. We mentioned, I mean, they were looking for twenty thousand. They're at fifty-one, but that's that's no excuse to stop sending money. We want to keep going up. Like we said, I mean, this is an unknown bacterial infection. Who knows how much money it actually takes to uh, to get him through this, and if that will, you know, even get him through it. But we'll, yeah. we'll hope so. We'll, we'll cross our fingers. Every single dollar helps. So again, you can find the GoFundMe page or the link, sorry, on our Twitter page at StickHungryPod. All right, uh, let's move on to some some hockey talk. I mean, like I said, there's not too much to go around. Uh, this is per Pierre Lebrun from TSN. Uh, he tweeted out the other day that NHL players have deferred their decision on their last paycheck until May 15th. I believe their last paycheck was due this week or maybe even last week. Uh, but anyways, they're allowing more time for the NHLPA to sort out if there will be games this season. Players have also been debating whether to forego all or some of their paycheck to help out with escrow. So, I mean, what that means to me is the league isn't re- ready to bow out. They're still looking to play hockey. I don't know in what fashion they're re- going to return this season, whether it's in a third-party neutral site like North Dakota and Saskatchewan, like I've heard. But what it really says to me is that they're not ready to bow out right now. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's weird because we're in uh, we're almost in a May. Do you know what I mean? And again, is hockey is usually in the first round of playoffs by now, or or you mean some games may even be over? But uh, they're holding out hope to maybe play in the summer, uh, maybe early fall. It, it's it's kind of weird because you know, uh, I mean, players or teams like the Sharks, let's say, would have been out of the playoffs and on vacation by now. We have some teams ramping up to get out of the first round, so. You know, they, I mean, the, the players want to help this league out. I mean, the, the players are the league. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to hold out till maybe the last possible time. I can't see them. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, they're going to self-quarantine in a hotel? And that's just not the players, but reporters, uh, training staff, and who knows how long this is going to go on for. So, it's, uh, I think it's probably the last-ditch effort to try to save at least part of the season. Yeah, I think so. It's, it all comes down to the dollars, right? I mean, they have all these TV deals that they're going to try and satisfy, but I, I don't know if it's going to come out that way. Um, actually, something I forgot to mention at the start of the episode, we have Brendan Dillon on, former San Jose yeah. Shark, this episode. Yeah. And I was talking to him about, you know, coming back and what the players think. And right now, they just want to get back on the ice. That's That's what their focus is. But at the end of the day, I mean – could you imagine if you're a team that's never won a Stanley cup and the first Stanley cup you win is in North Dakota with no fans. And then you get no parade afterwards. I mean, what would it be a zoom parade? Fuck that's bullshit. <laughs> I know. And you know, what? It, I never really thought about it as much until Kyle, you kind of said it there, but I don't see how they're going to be able to continue or to play any type of game of hockey in, in the next like three months or so. Like, like you said, because of all the coaching staff, there's so much, even if you did it behind closed doors, which is what, what I think obviously is what's going to have to happen. So no fans, but there's so much more to it, right. To an organization there, you know, all the training staff, there still has to be reported. I mean, how are you going to record it? So there has to be a camera crew. Yeah. I mean, it, there's so much stuff when it comes to that. It, it, I just don't know how I still, I guess it's still too early to make any final decisions, but I just don't know how it could, they're going to at all. I want. I mean, I, I want to see it. I want. You mean, totally. I, I, I want. I want to see it. Totally. But, but it's again. It's it, it's public health safety for for not just the players because again, it's not just the players and the coach. 
that stand on that bench. There's trainers and, you know, I mean, there's, you name it. There's a lot of people on organization that are involved in this. And to me, it's, it's, I mean, again, be away from their families for three months, like in self-isolation. I mean, I just don't, I don't see it. But again, it's, I mean, it's, it's not just hockey, it's baseball. It's football. I mean, football doesn't start till fall, yes. But baseball should be going on now. I mean, soccer should be going on now. Uh, WNBA should be going. I mean, there's a lot of different things that are going on that can't, but I mean, I still miss it. I still want to see it. But again, is, is, are you telling players like, like Joe Thornton or Patrick Marlowe that has families to go to North Dakota or Saskatoon and be in a hotel? Because again, it's, well, food comes in. You know I mean, they can't go out to dinner, so you're stuck in a hotel room. And there's a lot of logistics that go along with that, that I just, it's a, it's a big operation. And I just, I want to see it. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. I mean, unfortunately, let's say find some. I mean, miraculous drug or something that can get rid of this or control it. But that's, I mean, I, I just don't know. And I mean, what's, what's the end date? I mean, at what point do they look at it and say, like, we, we can't even continue this? So, like, do they, do they cut off the Stanley Cup and just saying it's not going to get awarded this season, move on to next year, or just keep pushing things along? I mean, that's a pretty tough decision, right? I, I honestly don't know what the right move would be if, say, it's, I don't know, September, and they're still two, three months away. What do you do at that point? Who knows? I mean, that's the thing is there's a lot of money being involved in this and, and, and dates that have been set up for years. Like July 1st is, is uh, you know, free agency. Contracts end after the season's over. I mean, when can you sign? So, again, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of moving parts to this besides just getting the games played. But, again, the league needs to make money. There's a lot of places here getting shut down. And going bankrupt, uh, our gym that I used to that I used to go to is bankrupt right now, and it's just people not going in there. And, and again, the the leagues need money to support their players, and the revenue has to come in. But I just again, I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I see that if if there's no hockey by summer, I just see that they they just they're just going to scratch this year. I think like they'll just really try and work on having a full season next year. If that's the case, because I, I really think they'll just I think that's what a lot of leagues are going to have to do. I, I think it's going to be one of those years that we're going to look back on. And, uh, you know, there was no sporting events. I think I don't think there's going to be any league that's really going to be stepping up and awarding anything, to be honest. Here, here, here in California, the governor is saying that he doesn't see he does not see sporting events until Thanksgiving or, or crowds at sporting events, I should say. until yeah. Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're I mean, it's, it's April. <laughs> I mean, it's. And he's already thinking November. And, and again, as, as, as a player, as a former player and a sports fan, it's like, holy crap. I mean, there's that, I mean, it's real. I mean, this thing's real. And that's, that's where it's like hard to fathom that uh, something like this can take down the sporting world, not alone sporting world, but a lot of events and a lot of people's businesses and lives. Uh, and again, it's just to snap of the fingers. So it's crazy. And I mean, we were talking at the start of the episode, four or five weeks into this thing, and people are going batshit crazy. Could you imagine if it goes till November? I mean, God, I mean, there's going to be a lot of dead husbands because their wives are going to get sick of them and fucking off them like Carol Baskin. <laughs> well, you know, it's going to be divorces. And it's either divorces or a baby boom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nine months is what it's going to be. No, that's that's so true. And, uh, you know, there's some businesses that are that are thriving during these times. And I think one of them is the adult entertainment business. <laughs> and uh, so 
So, so reporter or play-by-play guy Joe Buck, who works for Fox Sports, uh, NFL, MLB, does a lot of different things. Uh, he put up a tweet, and he was doing play-by-plays of people's like personal videos. And then he started getting the naughty stuff. He started getting like amateur porn videos that people were doing with their wives, sending it to <laughs> asking him to do play-by-play. Um, and now a company's actually reached out to him and offered him $1 million to do play-by-play for live cam videos. Um, I don't know. Maybe I know Joe Buck has said no to this, but maybe Randy Hahn of the uh, San Jose Sharks might, might be interested. <laughs> How about you? Why don't you start <laughs> For a million bucks? For a million? I'll do it for a million. For a million, for a million bucks? Shit, why not? I can, Dude, be, the I, shitty, I can just be the shittiest person doing it. I'll do that money. for 20 bucks. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, 20 no, I'll, bucks a video? I'll, I'll do it. I'll, <laughs> I'll make it easier on them, too. I'll take a million Canadian. I don't give a <laughs> shit. A million <laughs> bucks is a million bucks. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, Dude, uh, I, I read that story uh, yesterday. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. That somebody like of his stature would, would get like I mean an offer like that, but just goes to show you that you know he's he's a good uh, announcer. But again, it's, it's it's crazy as it sounds. Is I do it for I mean half a million bucks. If I I mean again I <laughs> wouldn't do a great job. Yeah, you know, I can I can tell when somebody's uh, going at it and somebody's not going at it. <laughs> You know who would be good on that, actually? Pierre Maguire, because he'd know about everybody's exes and all that kind of stuff. Right? <laughs> he'd know the weird behind-the-scenes details. Oh, my God. That is so funny. That is um, so true, too. Insider knowledge? <laughs> yeah, no, Pierre Maguire's a beauty, but, uh, man, that guy comes up with some obscure stats. Like, he'll be watching somebody play, and he'll be like, yeah, you know what? I saw that kid when he was 12, 13 playing for the, for the midget team or whatever. It's like, man, how, how do you watch so much hockey? And how, how do you remember all these things? Uh, that that guy's a specimen. He really is. Jr. would be a, Jr. would be a good one too. J, you know yeah. what? He would, and he's not afraid to cross that line. No, so, he's not. Uh, yeah, he's really not. He's <laughs> he's not employed right now, right? NBC right? canned him a while ago uh, for spitting chicklets comments, which was I don't know. I I think it was a little bit ridiculous. Like, yeah, his comments were a little offside, but to get fired, I I don't know, is a little bit much. But uh, Joe Buck, he's not taking up the offer. It's surprising. I'm shaking my head. A million bucks. Right. A million bucks, Joe Buck. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's let's get off the porn talk here. Um, uh, let's talk before we get into the Brendan Dillon interview. I'm sure he's just pleased to come on after this. Uh, let's talk quickly. <laughs> let's talk quickly about one of our sponsors at Manscaped. Uh, Kyle, you've been using Manscaped products for a couple weeks now. How does yep. it make you feel? And how how do you like the lawnmower 3.0? Uh, I love it. I mean, it, it works well. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I haven't cut myself yet. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but I mean, again, it's, 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 I've used it uh, frequently. I mean, I love using it. It's, it's nice to use. It's easy to use and it's effective. And you know, they've got other special uh, products in there, like the ball toner. I even yeah. saw that, that newsletter that they uh, put in the box. What's, what's on that thing? I haven't read one of those. <clears throat> the newsletter. I mean, it, it just tells you what it's all about. I mean, that's what okay. it is. And there's funny comments in there. I mean, it's it's a great it's a great product. That box that that I got came with deodor, uh, deodor, ball deodorizer, <laughs> and the toner. And you know what? I actually I like them. I mean, they're nice to have. Even my girl likes them. So I was going to ask, what does the girl think? Right? Yes. <laughs> the girl likes it, and that's all that matters. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, visit manscaped.com. Use promo code THPN for 20% off your next purchase and free shipping. That's a hell of a deal, folks. You're going to want that. 
But your balls will thank you. Your your balls will thank you, <laughs> and your girlfriend and or wife will thank you as well. Right. Uh, um, let's uh, let's move on though to the interview with Brendan Dillon. Big shout out to uh, Brendan for coming on this episode of the Stick Hungry Podcast. We really appreciate it, and I think you guys will appreciate it too. So now off to Brendan Dillon. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an absolute treat for you this week. We are joined by former Sharks defenseman and current Washington Capitol, Mr. Brendan Dillon. Brendan, how you doing today, man? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So let's let's start off with the obvious stuff, the coronavirus. I know it's hit everybody. How are you occupying your time? I know uh, California is kind of in a lockdown right now. Yeah, I mean, I've just been trying i'm sure like a lot of guys to keep busy um it's it's a struggle to obviously find any sort of ice time or any sort of hockey related things to do but um you know feel i've been taking a pretty decent advantage of my time and just trying to get my life in order i, I got some things on the west coast some things on the east coast um you know, obviously, I grew up in Vancouver, so I got some things up north as well. But uh, just hoping at the end end of the day here, we can get some hockey going again. So is it a lot of workouts right now, or are you kind of sitting in front of the TV watching a bunch of Netflix? No, um, I don't know if I want to get any heavier here. I got enough corner weight behind me. Um, I, I think the big thing is, is, is just trying to stay somewhat active, um, you know, getting outside. Uh, I've had a decent setup for for some workouts and stuff like that to, to be able to take advantage. Um, by, by no means am I in the one percenters of guys that got uh, gyms in their basement or a rink in their backyard. So uh, you got to kind of make do with, with what you got. And um, unfortunately here in California, the, the condo building I live in, uh, the gym and everything is shut down there. So I'm going to have to be a little creative. Yeah, so is it just basically a bunch of cardio workouts right now? I mean, you said the gyms are closed. You can't really be be pumping the weights right now. You're just going for, for runs, or how are you keeping active? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the main thing that you can do. Uh, the, the weather has been, has been great, looking great here for sure. So uh, I think it's been, been something where – where there's you know bikes, I have, I have a bike here in my building that uh, that I'm able to get outside and I'm be able to do do some stuff on and uh, it's again where uh, there's there's nothing like being able to to kind of be on the ice and and obviously skating and then getting your your heart rate going that from that side of things but um, I don't know if anyone can use that as an excuse I think we're all in the same boat I'm sure Peloton has had quite the uh, uptick in their sales uh, you know uh, I'm sure sure that's kind of been a big one uh, when I was still in DC actually um, a few of us were going out and playing some tennis and getting outside a few guys that were sticking around town and getting a basketball going and, and <laughs> trying to do our best impressions of, of what that would look like but uh, it's again just just kind of a weird unique super super crazy situation where uh as much as it sucks hockey seems to kind of be in the back of a lot of people's minds it's, it's more about everyone staying safe and, and doing their part from talking with your teammates and maybe your your personal opinion how do you see this uh this season coming back on board i mean it's it's kind of tough right now yeah. we're at least a few months away from hockey I'm sure you guys want to get back to it and finish off this season, but uh, I know what, what are, what are your guys thoughts right now? Yeah, no, I think the the biggest things we can do is, is try to stay positive. We've, we've been having the, our NHLPA calls. We've been having, 
guys in their team group chats uh we've been having i, I mean you, you see there's been a few podcasts or interviews guys are coming out in the media and uh, i think we're all trying to stay as optimistic as we can but uh it seems this thing seems to be getting a little worse uh, uh before we can get better in the long run but uh it's we all want to play the fans. We want us to play hockey. Uh, our, our teams in our cities that we're we're playing. Uh, guys like me that have been traded in the middle of the season. Uh, the opportunity to have a chance to to win a cup. I think that was a big thing that a lot of the teams that were in put themselves in a good situation throughout the regular season, through whatever it was, game 68, 69. Um, I think the biggest thing was was to just be able to have an opportunity at that and. Uh, these these things, it's not like the league or the players or someone is who's not wanting this to happen. It's just genuinely been been a tough go from from just reality of, of this COVID nineteen taking taking its toll, and um, the, the streets look like a ghost town right now. And I think the last thing that uh, families for safety wise would want to be is, is in a you know a sporting event or a concert or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've heard some rumors swirling around that the NHL is maybe exploring going to a neutral site. You know, I've heard Saskatchewan, I've heard North Dakota getting thrown out there. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, it would be kind of tough having a playoff series, you know, without a packed stadium and without fans there. I mean, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I'm sure everyone's got different opinions on it. I, I think to be able to to play, period, uh, I'm sure a lot of us would do just about anything to to be able to do that. Uh, for for those the neutral sites happening, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of moving pieces and moving parts that guys are, are going to have to get uh, get dialed in from where guys are going to be staying to just the travel to get there uh, and getting us up to speed. I mean, I know guys' groins are going to be falling off or hip flexors are going to be bursting. I'm sure for the first uh, if we don't get a training camp of some sort going, but um, it's it's yeah, it's. Uh, tough to put into to words of reality what's going on because because no one's been through this it's not like this is something that's happened 15 20 years ago or a couple of years ago uh it's just the first a lot of firsts for everyone from from the league on down to the players let's get out of this COVID-19 talk I mean I'm sure you're sick about hearing about this let's move into your hockey career a bit you're a Vancouver boy I'm also a BC boy so I just want to know you know who are some of the key people that got you started in hockey I mean does hockey run in your family yeah, hockey was, you know, it ran through for a lot of us, our parents that, that got into hockey or got us into hockey. And my dad played hockey, grew up in Toronto area. My mom grew up in Vancouver. So the Canucks have been around. And uh, I think for for any Canadian kid, you grow up on your, your cul-de-sac or your street or whatever, playing with your buddies. And that was how, as, as uh, cliche as it sounds, my, my kind of hockey career began, starting with mini sticks, watching, you know, Hockey Night in Canada's on the weekends. And, um, you know, was it my third or fourth birthday? You get your first pair of skates, you get out there, and next thing you know, it's, that's all you really want to do. And mm-hmm. for for growing up in Surrey, it was 30 minutes outside of Vancouver, there on the on the mainland. And Canucks growing up, Pavel Bure was was my number one guy. Um, the Sedin twins were were huge. I still remember in 2011 when they went to the finals. I think I was I just turned 20 or right around there. And, um, got back from junior hockey, and that was like the thing to do. Everyone was downtown watching those games, and it's just uh, it's a, it's a way of life in in Canada to be watching hockey, to watch the Olympics, and all these these types of types of things going on for for us. And basketball and sports in general were were super big for me growing up too. I seemed to play everything from elementary school on to high school before I really had to 
to dial it in for hockey, but uh, I was just very fortunate to, to get to the, the point where I am now. Uh, you mentioned that 2011 Cup run for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Were you downtown when that happened? I, I was actually downtown with my buddies, um, and we saw the ride starting up to happen, so we got in a taxi and headed to the ferries. But I was wondering, were you downtown Vancouver? For the actual game seven, I wasn't downtown. I was downtown for probably the previous three or four games at least. Um, it was right in the middle of, well, pretty much I'd already started my training. I just signed uh, at the end of my last junior year there to to be kind of starting my pro career so I was just getting ramped up I think it was would have obviously been middle of June beginning middle of June and uh so during the week whatever it was I was still trying to get in my routine and getting up for workouts in the morning with the fellas but we were so so pumped up and we're, we're pulling out our Canucks Canucks gear from from the kid days and it was just something that unites the city. I think anytime you see when, when you saw St. Louis, when, when you saw Washington win, um, when you saw Pittsburgh, you see these teams when they have success, what it does to a city. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're a baseball fan or a basketball fan or a football fan. Um, everybody loves a winner and everybody wants to, to take pride in their city. And uh, for, for me, I think that's just part of it was, it was pretty cool to be a kid from Vancouver area and watching my, you know, my growing up team doing well. And, uh, here I am, lucky enough again to be to be playing against them. And uh, you see what happens when a team doesn't win; the city ends up burning down. That was <laughs> that was pretty unfortunate. But let's let's move on to your time with the Seattle Thunderbirds. You played four full seasons uh, in the WHL. You went undrafted in the NHL draft. You know, was there at any points where you thought you know making it to the NHL might be a distant dream, or were you pretty confident in your abilities the whole time? Um, I'd say a bit, a bit of a, for, for myself and not getting drafted in the Bantam draft to the Western League Dungeon draft to the NHL draft. Um, I had a lot to prove and, and I had a lot of, a lot of things that I really had to take upon myself to, to make sure I was able to carve out a career to give myself an opportunity to, to, to make teams, to, to get on the radar for some people. And, I really took it personally when I wasn't drafted and I was in, I really took it personally. People said it was whether you were too small or you weren't fast enough or you weren't big enough, you weren't strong enough, you didn't have a good enough this or good enough that. It just always seemed to be a chip on my shoulder I could use. And um, whether that's in the summertime at workouts or that's during the season in practices or in camps, um, I'm, I'm a really motivated guy that's, um, I, I always want to continue to get better. And, and that's, I think, gotten me to this this point in my career. And I think in Seattle, there was a lot of learning curves in the first two and a half, three years. Uh, I didn't have a lot of success. I was fortunate to, to play on a great, great organization with great players. I think my first year we had like three or four first round picks. So to see guys that had had a lot of success that were going to have a lot of success and not just at the junior level, but the pro level, uh, the coaching staff, Turner Stevens played you know, four or 500 plus games. Um, he had a lot of his experiences he was able to share with us as players. And I think just junior hockey in general, when you're playing 60, 70 games, you're on a bus. Um, you're really getting yourself prepared for the grind of the NHL, for the grind of pro hockey. And it's um, for the best years of my life in a, in a great city. Uh, again, just having a lot of, a lot of great opportunities to, to be able to kind of give me the, the gateway of getting to, to the next level. Yeah, you mentioned you played with a couple NHLers on that uh, WHL team. I mean, were there any guys that stood out to you where you're like, yeah, this this guy's for sure going to make the show? 
Well, Thomas Hickey was, I mean, a guy, he captained the world junior team. He was, I think, the fourth overall pick or something like that to LA. Um, Scott Jackson, my first year, too, second round pick to St. Louis. Rico Hlanius is a first rounder to Tampa Bay. Jim O'Brien, a first rounder to Ottawa. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy to look around and see all these guys are on the same team. And uh, again, we had a lot of success. And I, I still remember my 16 year old season. We played Kelowna in the first round, went to game seven and one in Seattle. And I remember looking at the Kelowna team, uh, their back end itself, Tyler Myers, Luke Shen, Tyson Berry up front, uh, Jamie Ben, Michael Backlund, um, Brandon McMillan and played a bunch of NHL games. How was that for I mean, a junior team? Holy shit. Well, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, holy smokes, like talk about loaded. They, I mean, they were, they were good. And uh, I think that was just pretty cool in itself to see teams that are able to, to turn out guys like that. I mean, I know still Kelowna still does really well. And Seattle just won a couple of years ago in the summers. I get to skate with Shea Theodore or at Barzell. So like, of kind of going through right there but it's uh, again it's it's a really cool cool thing when you think about junior hockey and it was unfortunate with the whole humble thing it really brought to light how, how lucky great experiences in junior and, and how unfortunate it's I mean you saw how the hockey community came together for that whole that whole thing and I'm sure for the next 10 20 100 years uh, they'll always be remembered just like those Swift Current Broncos when uh, when that was happened back in the day and it's um, it's pretty cool to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's move on to your pro career. You signed your first professional contract uh, with the Dallas Stars organization in 2011. Were there other teams interested at that point, or was it pretty much Dallas? No, it was uh, the Stars line for me in that last year, junior. I I really had a had a good year. Had a lot of fun, a lot of opportunity, and with the with the boys there, we. We, we had some good days, some bad days, but for me, uh, there's a lot of ice time, a lot of opportunity, and I kind of just took it and ran. And uh, I, I'd probably talk to, I'd say, between, you know, 10 to 15 teams that year that were really serious in signing. And it's funny, two of those teams now are San Jose and Washington, where were other ones that, um, you know, it's funny how the hockey world works, but look where, where I am now. But when I went to, to, to Dallas and, you know, I'd signed with them, it was it was just a matter of, they were actually the first team that I talked to between Shane Churla and Les Jackson. And uh, they had a lot of opportunity in the back end for, for a guy like me undrafted. Uh, you look at some teams, they might be loaded up. Uh, if you're a, if you're a centerman that was drafted by Pittsburgh within the last 10 years, well, good luck. I'm sure you haven't had much of a shake with, with old Malkin <laughs> and, uh, and Sid being there. So there's a little bit of it that I guess would be a positive with, with being undrafted. Um, you're, you're able to kind of have a, a bit of a, if you're fortunate enough, a bit of a kind of ability to look, look and see what other depth charts look like and what the opportunity might be for you. And uh, going to Austin, Texas, and then Dallas were, were some of the awesome experiences I was, I was lucky enough to have and um, definitely wouldn't change it. So uh, coming in as a rookie in the NHL and the AHL, I guess, what were a couple of players that kind of took you under their wing and showed you the way, you know, how to, how to play in this league? Yeah, it was, when when you look at coaches and, and you look at players and, and guys that really stuck out, uh, I, I've been super, super fortunate. Uh, the first guy when I got there to, to Austin, Glenn Gullitson, he's, he's been around the NHL now for the last five, five to 10 years, almost now, ever since he was in Austin and Dallas. And um, he really taught me just the, the ground, kind of the, 
how to be a pro um you know you're not you're not hanging out and playing video games with guys like you are in, in junior you're you're not getting together at your billet house after and having home-cooked meals you've, you've kind of got to take it upon yourself to grow up uh you've got to you've got to come to work every day with your hard hat on and your lunch pail put the time in and, and really earn yourself you're, you're going up against guys that are doing it for their kids they're doing it for their wives for for a living and um, paying their mortgages with it. Whereas, uh, you know, at that time I was just trying to have a cool car and, you know, get the new games and, um, let's see what the fellows were doing the next, next little bit after practice. So different mindsets that you got to kind of tweak a bit and, um, certain players that stuck out. I mean, guys like, uh, you know, Colton Sevier, uh, Luke Gazdick, Jordy Ben were, were guys when I was in Austin that was, was very fortunate to watch come up together. And Cody Eakin was another guy, um, Riley Smith, guys that I had lived with there in Austin and Dallas, my my first little bit. And, uh, getting up to Dallas, too. Uh, Jamie Ben was a great guy I had a lot of fun with. Uh, Alex Chason. We we had a really young team and, and a lot of, you know, younger guys that were able to get together, whether it was grab a bite to eat or a beer after the games, and, and just really enjoy it. So uh, I ask every NHLer that comes on or, or every pro player that comes on to the show, I want to know what was your first big purchase after you signed your NHL contract? First big purchase, well, I'd say probably half my signing bonuses and stuff went back to my parents for for just having to pay unpaid, whether it was car things or <laughs> things I dinged up over the years. Uh, I, I mean, I bought myself a car, which was a big thing. I actually bought it in Seattle uh, when I went back to get a lot of my stuff from. From my billet families it was nothing crazy it was uh, i think it was either 2010 or 2009 chevy avalanche it was like my dream car it was it was all blacked out and nice. i mean it was if it wasn't for the gas mileage of getting about two miles to the gallon i'd probably still think about having it right now yeah it's kind of like my co-host kyle mclaren i think he picked up a gmc yukon for his first vehicle i'm always expecting you yeah. guys to pick up some some kind of sports car or something but uh yeah, that's interesting. Let's move on to your time in San Jose. I mean, you're traded in 2014. Uh, that was your first time being dealt in the NHL. What was it like being traded? What were the emotions going through your head when you got the news? Yeah, when when something like that happens, there's pretty much everything goes through your mind. Uh, you feel partially like you let some people down. Uh, you felt like you did something wrong uh why you know why is this why is this happening to me and I, I still remember from a couple summers before when uh a few a few guys just at my gym that I worked out with were talking and oh Dilly you know hopefully you uh you never get traded but if you do get traded hopefully it's not during the season um you know we're, we're kind of some of the things that you hear and uh fortunate for me or unfortunate for me um it was in I think it was in November so pretty much just got into my place just got settled I mean I was you know, renting a different place every year at that point in my career. So, uh, just unpacking your bags and, and getting settled. And, uh, yeah, just after practice, GM came and I was stretching or doing something and Jim and, Hey, you know, we want to chat with you, go in there. And sure enough, Hey, Dilly, you've been traded. Um, thanks for everything you've done here. And, and off you go. And as a 22 year old, 23 year old kid, um, it's kind of like, wow, your, your whole life changes in an instant. Uh, this is a place that can envision, I don't know, for however many years you're going to play, this is where you're going to be. You're going to win a Stanley Cup. You, you got your friends now that are you've seen every day for the last X amount of years. And uh, now you got to pack up your place and move pretty much uh, across the nation. So 
um, when, when I heard it was to San Jose, it was definitely the, the excitement kind of outweighed the sadness. And uh, I was just fortunate to, to be able to have a couple hours to see the guys and, and kind of say bye to the fellows for, for what was going to be the rest of that year. And um, still keep in contact with a good bunch of them. And, and now being in San Jose, uh, the, the getting to walk into a dressing room and have Brent Burns and Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, um, these Patrick Marlowe, uh, in the same dressing room. Patty was actually who picked me up actually when I, when I landed and I still remember, I don't even know if I said a word, I was so nervous. This former <laughs> Seattle T-Bird who had all these, uh, pictures up in the room was pretty much the, the perfect human in my eyes. Um, was, was now not just the guy that was talking to me, was the guy I was going to be passing the puck to and, and playing with. So it was, uh, it, it was a really big awakening for me in my career and, I remember the, the coaching staff there, Larry Robinson, Todd McClellan, these guys who, who have had unbelievable coaching careers or for Larry playing career as well, that I really just wanted to figure out, you know, how can I be the best Brendan Dillon I could be? And um, those guys spent a lot of time helping me get to, to where I am and, and take the next step in my career. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there's so many legends on that San Jose team, but I want to know, who were some of the characters in that locker room? I mean, was anybody playing pranks in that locker room, or was it a pretty serious, focused atmosphere? Um, I'd say it's a little bit of both. Like, I, I think for, for the guys in there, uh, a lot of those guys now, like, you know, Jumbo's 40, Burns is 34, 35. Um, these guys, they, they like to have a lot of fun and joke around, but um they, you know when it comes to game time they're pretty serious too and and uh, those guys they they uh they're very respectful but i think when you you have a resume like most of those guys do um you know it's just like wow these guys like this is joe thornton i mean 1500 points 1500 games patty marlowe i mean the guy is almost going to pass gordy Howe for most games played here pretty quick and when you really put it in and kind of sit back and think about the legends you're playing with, you're like, Holy smokes. Like this is, this guy's going to go down. This is like three or four hall of famers on your team. And, um, you know, they, they like to mess around with each other. We, I think is the, the kind of dressing room change when we got guys like Joel Ward, Paul Martin, um, guys like Pavelski. I mean, they're, they're hilarious. They have lots of fun every day, whether it was stuff with, messing with guys' clothes or messing with guys' gear and cutting this or messing around with that or moving that. Um, you know, it was never a dull moment for sure in the room, and, and I think that made it a lot of fun. Uh, you ever played golf with uh, Joe Pavelski? I know a lot of people kind of shy away from yeah. that because uh, this guy, he's a stud at everything he does, it seems like. Yeah, I think that's something that for Pavs, it, it seems like anything he picks up or does, he's, he's not just good at it, he's great at it from – I mean, ping pong in the dressing room, golf. There's, he's a guy that when when you're out there with him, he just he just doesn't miss. I mean, he, he hits it straight. It's not like he's bombing it away. But uh, you see when he plays in that Tahoe tournament every year with you know Romo and I think Steph Curry's in that one, T.J. Oshie, a few, all these guys that are, are some of the best at what they do in their everyday sports. Uh, to be able to. Like Paz, I don't know if he shot above par anytime I played with him. He's pretty dialed in. And I like playing with those guys that are better usually too because they make me better on the golf course. But I'm just trying to survive and win a couple bucks and, you know, whatever, <laughs> wolf or whatever we're playing. But he's, I mean, yeah, he's next level when it comes to golf. I mean, they call him Captain America for a reason, right? Like we said, this guy's good at everything he does. Um, yeah. Now, this is one game. I know all the fans are going to want to hear about this one. Game seven against the Vegas Golden Knights. 
Yeah. You go down three nothing in the third period. Were you guys looking yeah. around uh, on the bench thinking, "Shit, this could be the end of the season," or were you guys kind of quietly confident in your abilities to get back in that game? Well, it's it's playoffs, right? Anything can happen, especially in our rink with any time on the clock, you never know what can happen. And it was obviously not the first 55 minutes of the game we wanted. Um, you know, they got the first goal, which is a big one. And anytime you can have the lead, it's, it's tough to play from behind. But uh, I, I think, I don't know, you could play that game over a hundred times. And I don't know if that certain scenario, Pavs going down, getting hurt, five minute power play, scoring four on it them scoring in the last minute i just don't know if you could you could write a different book or a different outcome like that and to, to be on the winning side of it was like you said that game will go down in history as one of the most insane crazy of all time and uh to, to be a part of it to be playing in it to, to be able to celebrate and win uh you know and then another game seven the next round it was just seemed like a series of crazy events where uh, unfortunately it didn't end the, f the way we wanted it to, but it was a heck of a ride. Uh, I know you guys were in the middle of the playoffs, but what was the party like after that game? Guys must've been absolutely just jacked. Oh, it was, it was nuts. It was to be, especially at home. I remember like my condo building, I live in here when I, when I came back, I don't know if there's, there's so much going on in the Silicon Valley from tech to the Warriors have won like five in a row. <laughs> yeah, I feel on the totem pole for as good as the Sharks have been making the playoffs like 14 last 15 years uh, in the grand scheme of things here. We have great fans, but there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on. And we had people high-fiving us. We had people just driving on the way home, honking at you. And, That's awesome. Um, we, we played like two days later because Colorado, I think, beat Calgary in five. So, it was a quick turnaround for us. So there was as much as there was celebrating, we, we had to realize that was only one of four rounds that we were hoping to win. So it, uh, it was short lived, but definitely a heck of a heck of a game. Awesome. So let's, uh, let's move on to your time in Washington. I know you've only played a few games there, but you know, it seems like you fit right in with that group. Just uh, talk a little yeah. bit about how welcoming that group of guys has been for you. Oh, it's a, it's an awesome spot. It's I, I, one of the few teams where between growing up in the Canadian city to playing juniors and pro uh, for the previous seven, eight years, I actually didn't know a single guy on the team. So when I, when I got there, obviously a little tentative, a little hesitant, uh, you know, first few days, you don't want to be overstepping your boundaries, but man, were they, were they a lot of fun? Uh, a team that was similar to San Jose and, you kind of got those legendary guys and the, the Ovechkins, the Backstroms, the, the Oshis, the, these kind of guys that have obviously now won a Stanley Cup. But when you're getting up to those 700 goals, I mean, that's just it's ridiculous. It's nuts. And you it know, is. guys that can play, guys that play 700 games in the league, you're looking at them like, wow, it's a really impressive career, uh, let alone 700 goals. That's um, next level. So uh, when, when I got there, though, a lot of fun. Uh, the the players they kind of have that mentality of let's 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 enjoy ourselves just have a great time here off the ice but when the puck drops physical lots of skill high high end team that um, I mean again we're we're in first place for a reason and uh, we're we're hoping to be able to to kind of continue on but that's kind of out of our hands now. I mean, for the next, I don't know, two to five years, it seems like it's Stanley Cup or bust for that team. I mean, there's so many talented yeah. guys, like you just mentioned. 
Um, one guy you mentioned, Ovechkin, and I've, you've probably heard these rumors before, and I just want to confirm them. Does he cross the sauces? Is this a true rumor going around? Does he cross the sauces? What do you mean? So, uh, like, when, when you have, like, a, a spread or something and you'll dip something in the ketchup and then he'll just go right into, like, the mayonnaise or the mustard and dip it in there. So, oh, the sauces are getting crossed, sauces, you know what I yeah. mean? I, I've heard yeah, he's an absolute I mean, animal when it comes to food. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely, I mean, he's, he's a big boy. He's, there's a reason he's, he can fly and absolutely crush guys. But the, the spread that I've, I mean, when we've been on the road a few times for, for dinners and this stuff, I, I haven't seen the cross-topping yet. Um, you know, I haven't seen it in our dressing room when we have the pregame meals and everything. Guys are kind of doing their own thing, so I haven't quite seen that yet. We'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, definitely. Well, Brandon, thanks a lot for joining me on this episode of the Stick Hungry Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. All the best to you uh, with the Washington Capitals. I mean, the San Jose fans, they absolutely love you. I know you're not a San Jose Shark anymore, but you're a fan favorite. I mean, we, we had a poll Thank question you. the other day, actually. Um, best defenseman for the Sharks this year. We didn't, we didn't put you on the list because you didn't finish off with the Sharks. But, man, did yeah. we get ripped on. I probably had 20, 30 people messaging me saying, Brendan Dillon, Brendan <laughs> Dillon. The people absolutely love you. Thanks again for uh, coming on this episode. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Once again, big shout out to Brendan Dillon. I hope you guys enjoy that interview. Uh, but now it's time for the Sharks Line segment. Or, Brewster T, what did we yeah. call it? We've that, oh, You got it right. That's, that's, yeah, it was Sharks Line. You got it right for – we usually go, uh, oh, the open phone, and then we're like, wait, isn't it Sharks Line? We've had this segment yeah. for months. For goddamn months, and we still haven't figured out the name. But anyways, the Sharks Line segment brought to you by Open Phone. We have a call from Mr. Solomon Strader. You all know Solomon. He's always coming through with the good questions. So we're going to play his question right now. Stupid podcast. Uh, Solomon here. Um, hope you guys are doing well during all this uh, quarantine stuff. But uh, I had a question. I was um, reading an athletic article, and it was talking about Bob Bugner. And I guess he's likely to return next year as a head coach. I like Bob. I mean, just from his interviews and from, I guess, (laughs) coaching style, doesn't seem like a bad guy. I mean, he's really, really likable. I know that. Um, I just like this style more than Pete. It felt like Pete, although he was a really good coach, just didn't seem very adaptable to change. And I think that'll be the same issue in Vegas. Um, But with San Jose, I mean, I, would like to see a different coach come in, hopefully. I don't know if we have the money, but what do you guys think? Do you think we should keep Bugner or maybe go out and try to get someone else? All right. First thoughts uh, on Solomon Strader's call. What do, you, what do you guys think? Bob Bugner, should we keep him around as head coach? Or do you think we're going to find someone else for next season, whenever that may be? Why don't you go with this, Thomas, first? All right. Yeah, I mean – we, I think we've talked about this uh, like a couple of times kind of in passing where I, I, I would like to see a, a new coach. I mean, it, it's a period of change. You, you want, you know, we've talked about who do we want to lead through this, you know, this, you know, a retool, reshuffle, whatever it is. And I don't think that Bugner is a guy. When he came in, um, we didn't see that big upswing you see a, a lot of the time when a coach comes in. That to me, I, I don't know. That was a bit of a warning sign to me. It got it didn't didn't fill me with confidence that he was the guy to to lead the Sharks. And that's not to say that he's not a good coach. But yeah, I, I honestly, I'd like to see someone else 
that we really see long term. I'd like to someone that can grow with the team, that can go through this, uh, through the the rebuild, and have that end goal in sight with the team. I I wouldn't want to get into a case where we're just shuffling through coaches. And I feel like if we kept Budner, I I could almost see him going maybe next year. Then I I just don't see him leading this team for the next six years or so, and or five years. We and that's what I I think we need. Yeah. When I had Ron uh, Wilson coaching. And he got fired, and then Todd McClellan came in with his staff. <clears throat> Usually coaches, uh, head coaches, will take their assistants with them. Or they don't stick around very often. I mean, the head coach basically is in charge of his own staff. And to me, is, is Boudner left, became a head coach. Now he's coming back, but he was still under DeBoer. And to me, he instills some of the same things that DeBoer had. To me, I'd like to see a new coach. I'd like to see a new uh, regime going in there from top to bottom and coaching staff because that's the only way, again – Sharks are going through a rebuild. We can't see a reset anymore because a lot of the older players are going to be gone in a couple of years. And to me, they should have kept DeBoer maybe a little bit longer to see if he can turn it around. But again, it's a lot of the same tendencies that I'm seeing or was seeing on the ice are the same as, as Pete DeBoer's. And they kind of have the same coaching philosophy. Maybe one's more approachable than the other or one's younger than the other. But again, it was DeBoer bringing in uh, Boudner, uh as an assistant coach, as a defensive coach. So to me, is, is they have to do something. And again, the, the team's changing. They're going younger. They're going with a younger roster, younger players. Uh, and to me, they should bring somebody else in new. Uh, and not one of these old coaches that you hear around. Is, is, to me, it's, let's go out of the box. Let, let's see what somebody else has to say, a college coach or somebody that you can bring up with these kids and learn from the kids and, and kind of just take over the whole team because – to me, again, like you said, you're reshuffling the same old coaches over and over and over again with the same voices. Um, and, I, and I like Boogner. I mean, I think he's done well. But I just think that it's time for a new voice in that locker room and, and it has to start with the head coach. No, I, I agree with all that. And if we are going through a rebuild and we're going to go towards a younger team, bring in a head coach, let him grow with the team. Let him go through the, you know, the couple seasons of, you know, <laughs> finishing at the bottom of the conference if it comes to that and then build up with the team and I think they'll gain trust with them and uh, I agree I don't want to see another one of those older guys that's being shuffled around the league coming in here because like you said it's nothing new let's try something different Bob Bugner I mean not to say he's done a bad job I mean I think the team's just played poorly this year we saw no difference uh, between performance when DeBoer and Bugner was the head coach this year um you know, Solomon, I, I don't know. Uh, to answer your question, I think Bob Boogner might be around next season unless unless this is pushed on and we, we only see hockey coming back in, like, let's say, December, January. Then that gives the San Jose Sharks lots of time to explore their options and maybe hire a new guy. Uh, but thank you anyway, Solomon, for sending in that voicemail on the open phone line. Always a big contributor. This, this guy's a huge fan of the show, eh, Producer T? Yes, I love it. We always we got an open phone line. You you know that Solomon's calling. It's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Actually, Kyle, I want to know what was Ron Wilson like as a head coach. I've heard uh, I've heard different things about that guy. What, what did you hear in the first place? Well, I don't know. Like some guys love him and some guys hate him. He seems yeah. like he's one of those guys. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have to say, actually have to say the same thing. Is there's a lot of guys that didn't like him. He was really good on on X's and O's. Uh, but he was, for, for me uh, personally, he, he connected with me. I remember when the lockout actually ended, he was one of my first, he was, he called me and said, Hey, you get ready for the season. Like we're ready to go. He said, you're my first call. Um, and I'm like, sweet. I mean, let's, let's go. I'm ready for this. 
So um, that was one of the best things about him. I mean, he's a great guy away from the rink as well. He's a family guy. Uh, I know he's had health issues uh, the last year, maybe year and a half. But, uh, uh, I mean, I've had some great coaches, and he's definitely in my uh, – probably my top five. And uh, I, I feel bad for that guy, though, going into Toronto afterwards. Um, you know you're going to get shit on if you're the head coach of the Maple Leafs, <laughs> no matter who you are. I mean, look at yeah. Babcock. He got fired this year. Nobody yeah. thought that was possible. Um, so what have you guys been up to, though, like, before we end off the podcast? Hey, you guys killing time. Any new shows? Uh, Kyle, you finished Ozarks. What's going on there? I, I actually finished Ozarks. Uh, was it last night or the night before? Trying to find something else to watch. And right now, nothing's – what's that? Sorry, did you watch that last episode of the Tiger King? Yes. Oh, wasn't it awful? It was the worst probably show. <laughs> it was just all talking and interviews. I was like, no, this is not what I wanted. Even the way they did the interviews, yeah. I thought, was just so shoddy. It was like yeah. it, all yeah. the hype and this is what you guys are going to do? Boys, we could have done a better job. They should have hired <laughs> us as the host of the Tiger King show. Easily. Honestly. It was awful. Yeah, awful. I will say, though, I started watching Community after watching that show because the guy who ran the interviews, he's, uh, he plays Jeff, yep. the lawyer in that show. Not, not a bad show, in my opinion. Kind of yeah. underrated as a comedy. Yeah. yeah. Got Donald Glover in there, Childish Gambino. You know, it, it, it's a good one. That's actually, I haven't watched that in a while. I'll have to give that another go. That's, uh, one of those sh- what, that's one of those shows that got big after it went on Netflix. While yep. it was on regular TV, it didn't get the, the viewership they were hoping for. But it kind of blew up after. But, uh, yeah, good, good quality stuff. Uh, Producer T, what, what else have you been watching other than the, the shitty end of Tiger King? Uh, what have I been watching, man? I've been trying to – I still haven't finished Ozarks. Have you been practicing um, your play-by-plays for that uh, that side <laughs> or what? I'm going to. Hey, I, if they're throwing around that type of money, I'm going to start putting audition tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's been tough. I mean, we're all kind of struggling here. One one good thing, I guess, I mean, we see a lot of new content coming out, whether it be from, you know, players coming on podcasts like Brendan Dillon finding the time to come on our show, guys doing, like, TikTok videos. I mean, I'm not into the TikTok stuff, but, you know, some of these younger guys are into it, so we get some of that. Actually, we, we did a, a special on the Hockey Podcast Network. We had the Hockey Podcast Network After Hours. Um, we ran that last night, so it would have been Saturday night. We started at like quarter after 10 in the evening. Um, we ran well past midnight. We had six or seven guys from the network jump on. It was an absolute goon show. It was a fun time, though. We're going we're gonna to try and do it, you know, moving on in the future, kind of randomly drop it. So I'll, I'll let you guys know about it next time and maybe get the whole Stick Hungry crew on, uh, on the After Hours show. Sweet. I got to stay awake that late now? <laughs> you know, I, don't know. You know I, I am 40 almost 43 years old my bedtime's a lot earlier than freaking 10 o'clock nowadays <laughs> okay well we might have to start up the hockey podcast network morning show and we'll start at a nice brisk 9 a.m and we can get old kyle on the show right <laughs> <laughs> well actually you know what devin snow the guy that runs the nashville podcast that guy he lives in louisiana so he was up till like three four in the morning <laughs> Uh, doing podcasting with us that guy's an absolute animal we have some we had some live callers on the show too and he uh, promptly hangs up on them mid-question <laughs> which is his signature move so uh if you folks want to check that out visit our facebook page at the hockey podcast network guys any last thoughts before we uh log off here no just be safe stay home be safe yeah stay exactly. sane <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, stay that, sane, everybody. Visit the uh, GoFundMe page that we're going to link on our Twitter page. Make sure you donate if you have some extra cash. I know everyone's kind of strapped for cash right now, but uh, 
I'm sure the Perez family will appreciate it. We appreciate everybody listening to the Stick Hungry Podcast. Just remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Stick Hungry Pod. You can find myself at DYL underscore THPN. Producer T. Find myself at producer underscore T-E-E. And Kyle. McLaren underscore K. And visit the network at Hockey Pod Net. All right, guys, take care. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>